Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. Well, as I'm speaking to you today, in the church we've just had our annual observance of World Communion Sunday, in which we joined with Christians and congregations of every size, shape, and variety in gathering at the table of our Lord united in a common celebration of an uncommon blessing, that is, to know the presence of our Lord Jesus in the breaking of bread and the sharing of a cup. Speaking both pastorally and personally, I have to say this has always been a pretty amazing thing to me, especially when one considers the wide array of people, both known and unknown, who are also there at the table and who are sharing this holy feast with us. Based on Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, here's a message that we're calling All Around the Table. He was five years old, and he was off to a neighborhood playground together with his three cousins who he was visiting. And what a playground it was, folks. <coughs> It had swings, it had monkey bars, it had teeter-totters galore. But the height, the absolute best part of this playground was a slide. This just happened to be the biggest slide this boy had ever seen in his entire life. It had a ladder that seemingly extended all the way to heaven and a spiral runway that would bring you swiftly and safely back to Earth. Oh, all it took was one look at that slide and the boy knew he was going to try that out. Trouble was, once he got up to the top of that ladder, the slide seemed awfully far way down. And looking back down behind him at the rungs of the ladder he had just so cautiously climbed, uh, that wasn't feeling very comfortable either. In short, he was stuck, scared, and at a loss of what to do. So he did exactly what any five-year-old would do under such a circumstance. <coughs> he began to cry, and he cried very loudly. In fact, the boy cried for what seemed like forever. Suddenly, out of the corner of his tear-filled eyes, he noticed that someone was there. And blinking back the tears from his eyes, he saw the smiling face and the outstretched arms of a waiting grown-up. Oh, he was rescued at last. But there was something different about this particular grown-up, something he in his five years had never seen before. This man's skin was a different color than his own. It was dark. Much darker. You see, he'd never seen anyone who would look like that before. And, and yes, if we're being honest, it scared him more than a little bit. And now he's really wailing. Fear soon gave way to trust. As the man's warm eyes and gentle voice convinced him that everything was going to be okay. And just like that, the boy was safely back on terra firma. Son, you be careful now, okay? The man said, and still smiling and chuckling a little bit. 
he'd walked off to the other side of the playground where his own children were waiting. And the boy watched him go. And in that quick moment before he shifted gears and ran back to the swings, there, perhaps in the back of his brain, it was a memory of a verse that he had learned, a song that he had sung <coughs> in Sunday school. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of light. Now, when the little boy was six, one night his mother and father invited a guest to dinner. She's a friend of daddy's, his mother explained, and she's a nun. The boy was told that even though she might be dressed a little differently, and there was nothing to be concerned about, about that. So, she went on, please don't say anything. Well, of course. <laughs> when the boy saw this woman in her long, flowing, blue-gray robe and habit, he said exactly what he was thinking. I hate your hat. <laughs> His parents were, of course, mortified, embarrassed, but the woman laughed, and she knelt down so she could talk to the boy eye to eye, and she said to him with a wink, I'll let you in on a little secret. I hate it too. <laughs> Turned out, the boy discovered, that the reason she wore these clothes is that she was a teacher who taught people about God. Sure didn't look like any of the Sunday school teachers he'd ever seen. But she was nice. He really liked her. And there was something about her that seemed, well, right somehow. A few years later, when the boy was in high school, he went with the minister of his church and a few other adults to a meeting of other church people from all through the state. He went there not knowing what to expect, but in his mind he kind of imagined it would be pretty much like church was at home. Gray-haired men in three-piece suits and ladies in fancy dresses and wearing little white gloves. And to be sure, they were there. But there were also a good number of people younger and older, who looked as though they might never have owned an expensive suit. And there were others, there were ministers even, who had beards, and they wore longish hair. And there were even a few women who were pastors of churches. In truth, this didn't look like his own church at all. Then again, when they all broke bread together at the closing <laughs> communion service on Sunday morning, he felt the same kind of love, the same kind of fellowship and companionship that he felt in his own congregation. And this with people that he barely knew. And he remembered what the preacher had said that morning about the body of Christ. And he wondered, maybe for the first time, if maybe the church wasn't simply four walls and a steeple, but in fact was something more, something much more. Now, when the boy, now a young man, was in college, he, he worked for a while as an editor on the student newspaper. And one day a young woman came to the office and asked if she could please 
speak with him privately. It seemed that there was going to be an article in the paper about the gay community on campus in which her name and photo was to be included. Except that now, sobbing and trembling, she was literally begging him, please, please, please don't run that story. Because her parents did not know that she was gay, and she'd almost certainly be rejected by her family if they ever were to find out. She was terrified, terrified of the threats and violence she would surely endure if some people, even on campus, found out about this. And in truth, she wasn't even sure how she was going to be dealing with her sexuality, let alone go public with it. Now, the young man didn't know exactly what to think about the request. He really didn't understand anything at all about this young woman's life or what it meant to be gay. But he'd heard those slurs. He'd heard the name calling. He'd heard all the whispered gossip, even in the town where he grew up. And at that moment, he did know one thing for sure. Here was a living, breathing, feeling person who was full of fear and hurt, and it saddened him deeply to realize that she felt that there was no one in her life that she could trust. And as he mulled over all the things that were being said to him, and also all the things he had learned in church over the years, all the stories and the songs and the scripture, he knew that somehow Jesus was weeping with this one too. He knew that Jesus had to have been laughing like crazy the day he sat across the table from a minister who was spiritual, eloquent, vibrant, funny, challenging, oh, and happened to have been born without any arms. Now, admittedly, the first thing that this young man felt towards this member of the clergy was pity. And he thought to himself, how can he possibly manage to be a church pastor with that severe disability? And probably in some misguided attempt to break the awkward silence across that dinner table, he asked the minister just that, and immediately scolded himself for being so incredibly callous. But his dinner companion took it in stride, and with a knowing smile, he simply said, I just embraced the other gifts I've been given. And with that, he picked up his fork and his knife, and he began to cut his meat for dinner with his two feet. Now, suffice to say that the mouths of everyone who was gathered around that table dropped wide open. Some of them even, and, and to be honest, not the young man, because he was way too staid for that. The rest of them figured, well, when in Rome, and with a bit of coaching, attempted to engage in the same method of dining themselves without a whole lot of success but with a great deal of laughter. And before long, almost immediately in fact, the, the ice was broken, and a group of Christians separated by circumstance were truly one in the Spirit, one in the Lord. The young man left that table that day, nourished not only by the food and the fellowship, but also by the embodiment of hope and inclusion within the Christian community. By the grace of God, he had seen and discovered in that moment 
that by the grace of God, none need to be ostracized. There were plenty of other moments over the years, of course. There was the evening that he delivered a bag of groceries to a tiny, dark tenement apartment, and out of gratitude for the gift was asked by the family who lived there to stay for supper. There was a time when as a young pastor, the young son of an abused spouse told the whole congregation during a children's sermon, no less, how he and his mother and his sisters had to leave their father and how the mother's embarrassment and shame suddenly was transformed to gratitude for the church's immediate outpouring of love and support. Along the way, there were moments of greeting and farewell, joy and pain, discouragement, but also renewal. The day of his wedding, the birth of his children, and the day when amidst prayer, the Holy Spirit and the great weight of the laying on of hands, he was ordained to the Christian ministry. Yep, you heard me right. He's a pastor now. In a congregation, amazingly, like this one. He loves his work. He loves the people in the church that he serves, and he loves how they work to serve the Lord together in miraculous and ever-changing ways. And how God's Holy Spirit is always there and always amongst them, always comforting them, stirring them to action, chiding them on occasion, stirring them up in ways they aren't expecting, and teaching them with each and every passing day to truly be the church, to live as the body of Christ, just as God intends. And you know what? Each time this young man, and trust me here, he's not such a young man anymore. Each time he comes to feast at the Lord's table, he marvels at how large that table has become. Of course, make no mistake, that table was always that big. It's just that it takes a while, does it not? Maybe even a lifetime to truly be able to look around that table and see everyone who's there. And who's there, friends, are the people of God. People gathered from the east and the west and the north and the south to sit at Christ's table, to show up, share in a truly joyful feast to which they have been warmly invited. And around that table, it's not just the religious people either, and not just the so-called good people, neither those who are considered accepted or acceptable. God's people. All God's In our text for this morning, the one that Gail just shared with us, the prophet Isaiah tells of a promised feast on a mountain, a feast that the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, with rich food, well-aged wine, strained clear, and as the message translated, a feast with seven courses, a feast lavished with gourmet desserts. In other words, friends, a banquet which it is entirely appropriate to eat dessert first. But you see, what Isaiah wants us to know is that the food, 
as glorious as it's going to be, will pale in comparison to what else the Lord will also be doing on that mountain. And that is to be destroying the shadow that is cast over all peoples, to swallow up death forever. The Lord says Isaiah will wipe away all the tears from our faces and remove every sign of disgrace from his people wherever they are. And why? And why? Here's how the message puts it. Because God said so. Well, we too have a meal set before us. And this very simple meal to which you and I have been invited this morning is meant to be a foretaste of that great feast that is to become, as is to come by God's grace. A banquet of unending hope and love to which all are welcome and none are going to be left hungry. As you and I, in a few moments, share the bread and the cup, that is the body and blood of Christ, we will be gathering around a table that is, in fact, ever growing. Because that is a table that makes room for all those whom Jesus loves. All those who themselves have been gathered from the dark places of human life. That will include the sick and the poor. The empty and the disenfranchised, the, the lost and the cast aside, the, the confused and searching, the ones who are grieving the loss of something they know, maybe grieving the loss of something that is unknown to them. Just like that promised feast upon the mountain, this table, our table, is set for the ones speak gently, but also for the ones whose heart is by pain that they can't even begin to understand. Indeed, the bread we share is broken for all those who've been broken by the life of this world. The cup that we're being given to drink has been poured out for those who wish to embrace a new life, to be forgiven of sin and reconciled and redeemed. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. It is not meant to be partaken of solemnly, not by rote, not out of habit, but it's meant to be shared in celebration, precisely because that by this feast, the shroud of darkness and death and hopelessness being pulled away and is destroyed forever. Our tears are to be wiped away from our faces, for the disgrace of the people is no more. This is indeed the Lord for whom we have waited. So let us be glad. Glad to be at this meal, and glad that we can rejoice in his great salvation that has been extended to you and to you and to you and to me, all of us, all the people of God, all of us, all around the table. Well, the table sat beloved, as you can see. The feast is ready. We've all been invited to partake and share. 
And so let us come to the table gladly so we can break the bread and drink the cup of grace forever and do it together as the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, All Around the Table. It was recorded during our October the 1st World Communion Sunday service of worship at East Church, where, by the way, you are always invited to join us in person for that worship. It happens every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road, which is just off exit 16 of I-93 in beautiful Concord, New Hampshire. We are a small, mighty, and spirited congregation, and we would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our worship. I know you'll be glad you came. And until then, that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I do thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.